Welcome to the fourth and final episode of the Military Present Podcast, hosted by Anthropological Airwaves. Each episode of this special four-part series interrogates and explores how the present is shaped by the technologies, logics, histories, and economy of war through conversations with scholars of war and militarism. My name is Emily Song. And I'm Vasiliki Tehuliotis. We are both ethnographic researchers who study the varied effects of militarism and organized violence, both within and beyond the geographic and temporal boundaries of so-called conventional war. In the first episode, we spoke to Joe Masco about the historical formation of an affective politics that creates an ethos of continuous yet increasingly incoherent militarization, justifying itself as a response to a panoply of perceived threats. Next, we spoke to Medea Tahir about the ways in which new weapons technologies, particularly drones, have reshaped social landscapes in places like the Waziristan region of Pakistan, where threats both in the air and on the ground have become an ever-present fact of everyday life. In our last episode, we spoke with Wajma Osman about the embodied effects of nearly four decades of continuous war in Afghanistan. We talked about how the deployment of new military strategies and the use of new, supposedly more precise weapons obscures the deep, yet everyday, cumulative damage that is caused by ongoing war. In our episode today, we'll be talking about war as a form of governance, asking how war orders and creates the terms by which different forms of injury caused by war can be recognized and acted upon. We were prompted to frame a conversation around this topic as a response to what we see as a troubling absence of public discussion of the deaths and illnesses that are caused by war, but which get obscured as such by the language of byproducts, secondary effects, or collateral damage. While injuries and deaths caused by bullets and bombs are typically considered the primary and sometimes even the only effects of war, they are hardly the only forms of damage that are produced in areas exposed to military activities. In our own research, we encounter subjects exposed to the heavy metals of bombs which contaminate soil and water, burn pits in places like Iraq and Afghanistan that release toxins into the air, and even the pollution of the much more innocuous-sounding use of jet fuel by U.S. military planes and solvents to clean military equipment. What are the longer histories and logics that have shaped how we understand what can be considered the direct or indirect consequences of war? Now has the distinction between these two categories shaped how different forms of damage manifest themselves in bodies, landscapes, and social systems? In order to pursue those questions further, we've invited Omar Duvashi to be in conversation with us. Omar is Assistant Professor of Anthropology, Social Medicine, and Global Health, and the co-director of the Conflict Medicine Program at the American University of Beirut. Omar and I spoke in Providence, Rhode Island, where Omar was presenting at the Middle East Toxic Wars Conference at Brown University, and Emily joined us from New York. Omar, we want to begin this conversation by asking you about the empirical phenomena that you've been tracking in your work on the effects of war on Iraq's health system. I'm a trained physician and an anthropologist, and my work has been mostly looking at the human and environmental cost of the U.S. interventions in Iraq. 
I grew up in Iraq during the 1970s and 80s, and I was trained as a doctor in the 90s. My entry into medicine was actually during the aftermath of the first Gulf War and the 12 years of sanctions on the country. During that period, it was very clear that that war that happened in 1990 was not over after the end of the military activities. Iraq endured 12 years of sanctions that in very different ways transformed the everyday life, everyday practices of medicine, of survival also in that country. So my my work has been really focusing on this empirical problem of war. In my book, I've tried to document the breakdown of Iraq's healthcare and thus also the breakdown of the state in Iraq. My interest in that was also to show that Iraq was not just a a place that entered discourses in the U.S. and globally as a country that was just run by an authoritarian dictator, but actually a place that had a history of social institutions, medical institutions, and in many ways Iraq uh, acquired and had a very important status in terms of medicine and healthcare across the Middle East. That story was somewhat absent from the conversations about Iraq and about the war. In the immediate aftermath of the invasion, we saw a lot of discourses emerging on Iraq uh, describing it as ungovernable. I was really very fascinated about uh, these uh, discourses and tried to explore more this question of ungovernability. My effort was really to talk about the uh, breakdown of the country's healthcare system throughout history and then show how healthcare has been a platform for state making in the country but also it's the platform where it was used to destroy the architecture of rule and architecture of governance in Iraq. One phenomenon that was really fascinating for me on the ground was to see a lot of Iraqi patients leaving Iraq, coming to Lebanon to seek health care. I became very fascinated by the question of these physical wounds that uh, many of these uh, patients were injured in these suicide bombings event or in uh, sniper attacks or in airplane bombings, what, what have you. I began really following these wounds, what I began calling these traveling wounds. What became clear to me is that this wound also was a continuation of the story of the destruction of Iraq's healthcare. There was a whole infrastructure that was wounded in Iraq. And this uh, rendering uh, life to be so ungovernable because of the breakdown of healthcare began to be uh, almost manifesting through these war injuries and wounds. The more I followed the wounds, the more these wounds were also opening up new avenues of understanding the, the different uh, environmental and physical, social, and psychological aspects of wounding and wounds. So yesterday you gave a really interesting presentation at the Toxic Wars Conference at Brown, where you talked about this thing called Iraqi Bacter and other multidrug resistant pathogens that are spreading throughout the Middle East. Can you explain to our listeners what this is? When I started interviewing the doctors and trying to understand what was going on with uh, these injuries, there was a clear idea that many of these Iraqi patients came with very complicated wound infections. In fact, many of the Iraqi cases were put in isolation just to make sure that they were not carrying 
a superbug that could actually spread through the hospital. So one of the uh, main uh, infections that seemed to be creating a problem to the uh, the doctors there was this one multidrug resistant bacteria called Acinetobacter bumanii. Of course, the term Iraqi bacter invokes a lot of the uh, discourses on tropical medicine, invokes the history of the 19th century colonial medicine that always associated uh, diseases with places uh, these uh, and and they'd all always kind of uh, linked uh, these conditions to a certain kind of an ecology of land geography territories and populations that they were uh, uh, dealing with I'm curious about how your work following Iraqi Bacter in Iraq and outside of Iraq, how this all links back to your argument about ungovernability. It seems to me that the way that the bacteria is being marked now in medical discourses mimics the casting of Iraq itself as ungovernable. I mean, the history of ungovernability in Iraq has to do a lot with how Iraq was also seen during the First World War uh, under the British mandate. When the British invaded Iraq in 1914 and occupied it by 1917, most of the experience of the military in Iraq back then, the British military, was uh, one of affliction and disease. And uh, the descriptions of uh, Ottoman Mesopotamia at that time, as they called Iraq, was somewhat similar to what you see right now in the way the U.S. military described that place in terms of this is a place where soldiers go to die or places ridden up, is, is, uh, uh, is infected with all these uh, different bacteria. And And this basically, uh, as I show also in the book, became one of the main platforms of trying to reverse these uh, afflictions uh, through building the, the, the state in Iraq. So health and medicine became really one of the central and pillars of building the Iraqi state uh, under the British mandate. And as I show, it kind of becomes also a, a main platform for the post-colonial state during the development era in the 1950s and even during the Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s. Uh, what you see in the post-1990s Iraq is the production or actually kind of the development of a certain kind of condition in the country where ungovernability becomes augmented and, and becomes part of the condition of, of life. This is not just Uh, in terms of abandonment or exceptions or the recession of the state, but it's actually through the material life of the patients and doctors and the state itself. So one cannot really separate the relationship between the state and the population in a place like uh, post-1990s Iraq, where you see both the state and the population are struggling for survival. And what I try to, to show is not to really kind of dichotomize this relationship Uh, of uh, the state in terms of power and the uh, population in terms of resistance, but to show that these kind of relationships were intermingled. And what really you see from the First World War to the post-1990s uh, that these modes of power, these modes of biopolitical interventions produce these diseases through its own kind of means to intervene. So the more you're trying to intervene to solve a problem, the more you're creating uh, different kinds of problems on the ground. And in many ways, you create, you're producing exactly that yet you came to, to eradicate. So this dialectic of governing and ungoverning uh, was something that we should be able to see as part of this uh, dynamics of uh, the biopolitical. So ungovernability, as I understand you describing it here, is both the pretext for intervention and also the unintended but quite lethal effect of the intervention. And it's a consequence that is not limited just to Iraq, 
but spreads outside of the initial war zone in ways that are not predictable and as of yet not manageable. I think I think uh, one way to to see this emergence of these bacteria is have to do a lot with the uh, the war interventions. The more you're trying to govern Iraq, the more Iraq slips out of this control and then you create a backlash through this bacteria. The, this bacteria, of course, is, is not necessarily contained within Iraq. It's been migrating with the U.S. soldiers back to the United States. Uh, one could actually kind of put a question, is this a kind of empire strikes back kind of story? So the more you look at why this bacteria evolved or why this bacteria, what's its history, why do, would it emerge during this moment of time is, is, is a fascinating question. The hypothesis that we basically have is that uh, at least two main hypotheses. Uh, one is that the uh, effect of the sanctions in Iraq might have really played a major role in the development of this bacteria. During that period, Iraq was uh, isolated by the international community and actually antibiotics were considered as dual use. That is to say they were, it could be used for a civilian use and for military purposes. And the impact of that on the hospital, on, on the doctors and the work in the hospital, and this is something I experienced as a physician working there, is that we used to, for example, give a broad spectrum antibiotic to every single patient that enters the hospital for any uh, minor or major operation. And this, over time, this was conducive uh, eventually on the, uh, to the uh, evolution of uh, bacteria to become more and more multidrug resistant. Now, another hypothesis which is less understood, and this is something I think has to do a lot with the toxicity story that we were talking about yesterday in the conference, is the role of heavy metals in the evolution of this uh, or the emergence of this bacteria as a multidrug resistant or antimicrobial resistant uh, infection. There has been some research on uh, the relationship between heavy metals and uh, uh, as a trigger of sensitivity into to micro antimicrobial resistance in uh, industrial and agricultural settings, and specifically to this one bacteria. And that aspect of uh, the relationship between these heavy metals that contaminate many of these uh, war landscapes that could come from ammunition, they could come from the destruction of the lived environment, like the houses and the, the infrastructure in general. We believe that there might be an association between these uh, presence of these heavy metals and the, the evolution of this bacteria. As somebody who's interested in telling a story about war that's not framed in terms of the distinction between war and peace, and that looks beyond kind of you know, death tolls and representations of the immediate lethality of war. I'm interested in what seems to be the, the a provocation of your work, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the provocation of the, your work is to, to take something like the Iraqi Bacter and take it as our ethnographic object. So I'm, I'm sort of curious if we do that, what kind of story of, about war are we able to tell? What kind of understanding of the temporality of war does this open up to? And how does it complicate n notions about what are, you know, primary and secondary or direct and indirect effects of war? I mean, my, my attachment to this project is not definitely not just the bacteria, but the human aspect of that. And I think the bacteria really is a uh, partly is a material story in many ways because it is a, a threat like you know HIV or disease or but Asintobacter specifically is very interesting object to look at partly because it almost like an archive of of war the 
genetic makeup of the bacteria really contains a, a history of what has happened to this uh, uh, microbe or this bacteria over time. And in a way, understanding it even in the lab will allow us to see over time what has had happened in terms of its uh, mutations and at many, at many different levels. The story, again, at the end of the day, cannot be understood by just looking at the bacteria. We have to look at the human practices that had allowed to its emergence and uh, the broader environmental questions that had uh, given rise to this problem at this specific moment of time. So in, in, in many ways, uh, the idea that there is a direct outcome of war and an indirect outcome of war or direct effect or indirect effect it becomes completely blurred because definitely one one could see it as a as an, a product of an in, unintended consequences however the story of this uh, bacteria tells us about the environmental contamination it tells us about the human transformation it tells us about the global story of antibiotic resistance right now and the absence of questions of uh, war as a driver of this uh, anti of antimicrobial resistance in general, I think glo globally the world is now recognizing that antimicrobial resistance is is going to become the biggest problem over the next 30, 40 years. The World Health Organization has announced that this is going to be the biggest health problem uh, that will face healthcare systems and uh, human beings. It actually involves the question of agriculture. It involves the question of industry, and it involves also the pharmaceutical uh, uh, industry, partly because there is less investment in producing new medications. And what, what we might witness over the next decades is the end of the antibiotics era. So in many ways, this tells a different story also of war, not just the war in Iraq, but it tells us, us our own kind of story of war against microbes that we've maybe started in also under the another kind of war, which is the Second World War, which when the antibiotics was, were first used on, on soldiers. And uh, now we see the fear of the end of antibiotics in the ongoing war and terror and uh, conflicts in the Middle East. Omar, one of the things that Vasiliki and I have been grappling with is the potential danger of changing our analytics to grasp the slow deaths of war is to potentially eclipse the fast and immediate ways in which war kills and the political economy of this kind of fast killing. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you think um, are methods for holding both temporalities of war together. I think what really the questions of war invoke for us is to think about fieldwork and to think about how are we methodologically and empirically following questions of war at the, the ethnographic level. In my work, what I try to, to do is to, for example, look at the question of the wound. For me, the wound is not necessarily, or its vulnerability of that wound, is not necessarily an epistemological or an ontological question. I take it more of as a methodological one. My question always on the ground is, what happens if I follow that wound and see where it takes me? And rather than give it a, a name as slow or fast, or as the, if this is a wound that will immediately cause an immediate death or a slow death, I would try to really understand what is going on with it in terms of the physical body of those who are injured or looking at the science that, that is uh, being produced around it or following its manifestations, the different incarnations of that, of that wound in the social, in the biological, and in the psychological even. So what I would argue for is the same thing I did with the ungovernability. I'm not really trying to 
create a concept or reify what something that is ungovernable. But if, but the question is, what if I really follow this breakdown of power throughout the 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 storyline or throughout the, the field investigation that I'm doing? That allows me to be more truthful to the the anthropological inquiry. And later on, then I can give it a name. But I think what the questions of war is, is not to really define its temporality within these limited ways. Um, the more interesting part is to take these uh, stories towards their end, in a way. That definitely takes time and and takes a lot of commitment to the field, the places that you're investigating, to the questions that you're investigating. And in many ways, they're uh, they're very troubling because you get to uh, live with these questions and, and of, of human suffering for a uh, long time. And this is the story, I guess, of a place that I grew up in, the story of this region that I'm uh, part of. Uh, and I think that is, for me, as the uh, central role of at least how I see my my ethical engagement uh, with these questions and how I develop my analytical uh, attachment to them. I really appreciate your answer and, and your call for a very rigorously empirical study of war. And I think that you are pointing out um, there is a real kind of ethics to doing that and really important ways in which actually analytics oftentimes blunt what we see, even though we rely on them so heavily in order to make certain phenomenon visible. They, they can actually oftentimes have the, the opposite effect. So thank you so much, Omar. And thank you to all of you that have been listening to this special series on the military present over the past four episodes. We are incredibly grateful to the producers of Anthropological Airwaves for giving us this valuable opportunity to host what we think is an important dialogue about war and militarism in this current political moment. 